our consideration on the back page is from Sidney Smith, a English clergyman, and he writes this about the old truths. He says, it is the calling of great men not so much to preach new truths as to rescue from oblivion those old truths which it is our wisdom to remember and our weaknesses to forget. And so that's true. I mean, sometimes you can get to the point where a lot of people are just trying to preach something new, right? And that's, you see that in Christianity today when really it's the things that uh, have been around for a long time that they're not preaching that are really more important. And that makes a big difference. We come to our message now. We're on our, I think this is our ninth message on glory. And what we've been trying to do is to show you what scripture says about glory. And if you look at your chart, and I think it's on page nine, uh, as we were talking about the sign, and I'm going to put a chart together concerning the believer today and how the believer is able to manifest glory. That when you think of glory, that glory is an opinion that can be manifested in different ways. And it's an opinion that can be manifested in life, in light, in activity. So, for example, we're going to get to the word glorify. And we're going to see that you and I can glorify God in this body. Well, how do we glorify God? Do we have to walk around as a light? A literal light? That as we encounter people, they say, oh, yeah, he's glorified. I can see the light. Or is it life? The sun manifested glory in his resurrected body in light. Right? Remember, Paul saw him on the road to Damascus in his resurrected body. And he said, I saw a light that was brighter than the noonday sun. And he also manifested it during his earthly ministry in life. John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. You see? So this glory has a lot of different uh, elements to it. And so sometimes it's manifestation with an outward uh, glow of light. And I do believe that back in the, um, with Adam and Eve, that they had some kind of light that they were indwelt in. And there's enough proof to be able to prove that. And so when they, when they ate from that tree, what they lost was that outward manifestation of light. And that's what they realized, and they realized then that they had been stripped of that light. Well, we're going there, and I think that as the believer is being transformed today, what we're going to see is that the believer, as a result of Christ indwelling us, can manifest God's quality of life. Christ is indwelling in every single person. The moment you believe the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he was raised again. Do you realize that you were changed? There's a lot of things happened that you didn't see happen. But scripture tells you that it happened. One is that you were moved out of Adam, at the family of Adam, which every man in this earth is on this earth is born into. And you were moved into a position in Christ. And so we can see that in 2 Corinthians, right? 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. How did you get there? The Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ the moment that you believed. So that now God doesn't look at you the way that you were born into this world. He looks at you only as being in Christ. 
You're part of the new creation, right? You, did you see that happen when you, when, you, when you were saved? Did a chorus of angels come and say, ah? <laughs> no, you didn't see any of that happen. But it's true. Why? Because scripture says it's true. Now, another thing happened is that the son who has life in himself came and he indwells you. He has eternal life. Now he indwells you. That means you have eternal life. You have it now as a possession. I remember when I was a kid back many years ago, I, I used to think and we were told that you were going to get eternal life in the future, that it was a future thing, right? God says in 1 John 5, you have eternal life now. Now, why is that significant? Because God is using that life to display to men. As you and I are spiritual and we allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, God is showing forth this life of the son that is in you. He's being shown out through you. And so this is a significant thing. And you say, well, what are we doing here? I think that that probably constitutes a big reason for why we're here. It's for that life to be shown out in real time. In the way that we carry ourselves. Now notice, you say, well, how does that look? Well, look at Galatians 5, and you see the fruit of the Spirit. And it shows you what that eternal life looks like. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, meekness. So you see, those kind of qualities the world doesn't have. You can see that in the world, right? You can clearly see that. The world doesn't have that kind of life. And when they see it in activity, they say, whoa, what is that? The real problem today is that you have so many believers who want to use this. They're just flapping the gums. Did I get it right, Lynn? Flapping the gums. I said lips, but it's, it's the gums. Seems like it shouldn't be gums. But <laughs> flapping the gums, just yapping, when in reality, you don't really have to say much when you're living it. Right? When you're living it, you really don't have to say much. That people see something in your life, and we've, we'll see it in Peter, 1 Peter 3.15. I think most of the evangelism that is done today, I'm convinced that the majority of the evangelism that is done today, one, you have the guy who has the gift of evangelism, and I think that that person does a lot of evangelism, which the church doesn't recognize that person. Anybody heard a person that have the gift of evangelism recently? Anyone, talk, anyone talking about that guy? Just don't even hear him talked about. But I think there are people who have the gift of evangelism that God uses. But I think the majority of the believers, and not that you can't evangelize, you do at some point, but not like the one who has the gift of evangelism, is 1 Peter 3.15. You set aside Jesus as Lord in your heart. Always be willing to give an answer this word for answer is the word for apologetics. It's a defense. Now, when do you give this defense? To the one who asks you about the hope that is in you. Well, why would they ask you? They see something in you. 
they see something in you. And what's happening with most believers is that we jump from that point to just talking. Well, nobody really has asked the question. <laughs> They're not asking, right? And we're, we're just yapping and going along, and we believe that just talking is more significant than how we live, right? When really what God is trying to do, it's this. It's living, allowing the sun to be seen out through you and me. And so as you see that process, and we talk, started talking about it, that you and I are being transformed from glory to glory. And so now you have the sun is being lived out in you, and there's a quality of glory that is manifested in you, and it just keeps intensifying as the believer grows and matures, that it keeps changing. And you know what the apex of that is going to be? When the rapture occurs, our bodies are going to be changed. And we're going to be like him. And you guess what? I think it's not just going to be manifestation of life then. I think that the believer's body, and I know for a fact, is going to shine. Like the S-O-N, not the S-U-N. That the believer's body is going to shine. That we're going to have our resurrected bodies. And it's going to reach the apex of what God is doing. But now, remember, glory can have different components to it. It could be living out life. God's life being seen out in activity. And I think that that's what's happening today. That God is wanting to use this body for his life to be seen out in activity on a daily basis in how we conduct our life. You want to know what the purpose of, and the meaning of life? I remember the first day I went to the University of Oklahoma. The guy got up in a philosophy class and he was sitting there thinking and talking and reasoning about what's in a name. For an hour, he reasoned about this. And then you have your philosophers what is the meaning of life? Well, you know who reasons those type of things today? Nutty people. Nutty people. They are the ones reasoning about what is life. You and I should know what life is, right? We should know what the purpose of life is because God has told us. There should be any doubt whether I am living and walking or as I, I'm bedridden and I can't do anything. The purpose of life continues to go forward. The unsaved man looks at someone who's incapacitated and they are saying today that once you get to that point, you're worthless. End it all. That's what they're saying today. Because they see no purpose for life beyond Really, youth? Do you know they're saying today that if you, once you get to the age of 75, you should end your life? We have had people who are saying, so-called intelligent people, who are saying that when they get to that, and I think they're lying, but I just want you to do it. <laughs> they're saying now, when they get to age 75, they're just going to self-end their life. Well, this is unsaved people who are, you know, they don't understand the point of life at all. But you and I, because God is working through us and he's being glorified in us, that that 
it's a process that goes on. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. There is a purpose for that all up until the point that you take your last breath. You see, God can be glorified in how you conduct your life. And we started talking about that, and we'll continue to see that as we continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18 today. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful to as believers that we can bring glory to you. And that glory can increase in intensive fashion as the Holy Spirit works through us and imparting the life of your Son through us. And we're so thankful for the possibility of that happening. And so we're grateful that we can have meaning in this life and that the meaning is not based upon the things of this world, but it's based upon what you're doing through us. And we're so thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we um, look at this issue in Second Corinthians chapter 3.18 is where we left off. And we were talking about that the Paul was uh, contrasting the uh, old covenant and how Moses had a glory that shone on his face versus how uh, we all, notice in verse 18, but we all with open face. And so remember Moses veiled, put a veil over his face um, in order to veil the fading of the glory that he had so that the, Israel, the children of Israel would not see this glory as it, as it faded. And so he says, but we all with open face and unveiled face are beholding as in a glass or really are reflecting as like in a mirror. You're reflecting something. And what are you and I reflecting? Well, I hope that as you're growing and you're spiritual and as you're allowing the Holy Spirit to do it, you're reflecting a glory from the Lord. That that's what we're supposed to be, reflectors of the Lord's glory. And then he says, for, and we are changed. Uh, metamorphosis. Uh, we understand that process that a um, caterpillar goes through, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. You know, you don't really see what you and I are right now. I go to work, and um, most, if, well, I don't, used to go to work, let me say. <laughs> I used to go to work. <laughs> Retirement is a beautiful thing. But when I did go to work, (laughs) um, no one understood who I was. They saw me as Kevin Jeffrey. They didn't know who I really was. And so that life that is in you is being seen out in increasing fashion. And even as they see that, they still don't understand. They just see something about you that's different, right? And, and so this ideal, and so the, the son is indwelling in, in each believer, and this word for metamorphosis is that that life is increasingly being seen in intens, intensifying fashion on the outside. The life of the son can be seen more consistently in your life and my life. And that's the challenge. For the believer to allow the Holy Spirit to do it, 
the Holy Spirit wants to do it. The question is, will we allow him to do it? Will we allow the Holy Spirit to produce the life of the Son? It's, it's almost like if you ever gone up to a house and the house is, um, say, an empty house. Hopefully you wouldn't do this in a house where it's occupied and the window's dirty and you, you have to get the dust off the window in order to see. And, and that's kind of what's happening with believers sometimes. Christ is in every believer, but he's not always seen out in every believer. But he can be. The only thing that's happening, that's stopping that process is not him. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's me. It's me. And so notice he says, we are changed into the same image. Now here we are, which is where we left off, from glory to glory. Now this word from is actually the word, it's a Greek preposition, apo. So he's looking at, you're over here, and you're moving from here over to here, and you're moving, and he's looking at the source of where you came from. So there was a glory over here, and you're moving from that glory to a different kind of glory. And I think what he's looking at is the intensity of the maturation process. As the believer grows, people are seeing less of you and more of the sign. Remember the song what we were just saying? May they forget the channel seeing only him. That as that intensification grows, that people can see less of Kevin and more of the life of the son. Now, again, how do you see that? Well, how do you see less of Kevin? Well, you see more of the fruit of the spirit in my life. Right? You see more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And so this idea of from glory to glory, it's, it uses to emphasize the thing. And it's, this word for glory, it's, uh, in this case, it's used 48 times in the New Testament. It emphasizes that which is characterized by glory that can actually be translated already glorious. Now, for example, and it's translated that way several times, and it's looking at the intensity of the glory. Look at, for, for example, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28. <laughs> That as people looked at these other things, they saw glory, <coughs> intensified glory. And so notice, uh, and it really says that the believer has the capability of manifesting this kind of glory. Uh, notice he says, um, and the Lord in, is talking to the disciples and, he's, he, and they, he's telling them what will happen to those who follow him in the regeneration. Notice in verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, or really I translate that, his glorious throne. That when he sits on this throne, it's going to be something that is majestic. That when you see it, it's just going to be an amazing thing to see. It's an outward manifestation of something that is going to be majestic. And you shall also sit upon the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So you can see it related to that throne there. But let's see 
let's see it related to this light that Paul saw in Acts chapter 22 and verse 11. Acts chapter 22 and verse 11. <clears throat> now, you wonder when we see the, the, the sun, and it says in 1 John, that when we, sh when we shall see him, we shall be like him. Now, that's an interesting thing, and this is uh, fascinating because of what Paul saw him, and he wasn't able to look at him directly because the glory of the light was just was too, in, too much intensity, and he couldn't look at him. And so notice in verse 11, but in 1 John 3, he says that when we see him in the future at the rapture, we will see him face to face in all of his glory. Why? Because we're going to be like him. We're going to be changed, and we're going to be like him. Notice in Acts chapter 21 and verse, uh, I think it's 11 is where we... Um, um, did I say 22.11? Oh, okay. Well, that, that makes sense because it wasn't in 21.11. <laughs> uh, thank you. And so notice Paul is telling what happened here uh, concerning this, this encounter he had with the Lord, the Lord on the road to Damascus. And he's talking to the Jews here, trying to explain to him why he did what he did. And notice in verse 6, and he says, And it came to pass, as I made my journey, and I was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. So here you see this glory, and it's manifested in light. And notice why? Because the sun is in his resurrected body. Now, I want you to know that when we go to Philippians chapter 3, it says that when we uh, are changed at the end, when the sun comes back, we're going to be like him. Our bodies are going to be likened unto his resurrected body. This is an amazing thing. Why? Because this body here that we're in now is a body of limitation. You ever walk through a wall lately? You ever gone from here to the third heaven lately? This body can't. That body will be able to do all of the above. <laughs> and so notice he says, um, I saw a light round about me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why persecuted thou me? And I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecuteth. Now, just as an aside, when you persecute other believers, you know who you're persecuting? You're not just persecuting that person. He says, you're persecuting me, you see. And I, I answered, and notice in verse 9, and, and there, there were with me, uh, they that were with me indeed saw the light, and they were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told of thee all things which are appointed unto thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, imagine that, it blinded him. Being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. Make you skeptical of people who say that they saw the Lord. You know, you see these people who say that they see Jesus they, uh, I think Dr. Schaefer used to say back in the day that somebody said, Sun Young Moon said that he saw the Lord. And they said, well, what did he look like? 
He said, oh, he looked like his pictures. <laughs> well, which one? <laughs> and I don't think that that could happen today. So notice this glorious light, the intensity of it. Well, why is he raising this? Because um, I think that what he's showing is there's an intensity of the life as it's seen on display. Just as you see the intensity of this light and the throne and the intensity there, that as the believer's life is transformed from glory to glory, that the intensity of that life is seen out in this human body. And so notice uh, this, the glory is produced in the believer. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. And so Paul talks about this and the fact that uh, the irony is that God, you know what's ironic is that God is, is produces his life in these fragile vessels. These vessels that we're in. I don't know what you think about your body. We're doing a paper this week on the body uh, in Portland. And in studying that that past those passages about the human body, it's an interesting thing. So people have a view of their human body, and particularly in the American culture, you know, the body is exalted as being, I mean, it's the most important thing to a lot of people, right? But you know what happens? No matter how much, what you think about your body, this body is fragile. I was thinking about that as Brittany talks about the young man that was killed on the motorcycle accident. You can look like Adonis, but this body can go down very quickly. And so Paul is is looking at this conundrum with it and in the fourth chapter, and he says in verse seven, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Oh, let, let's go back. Actually, I wanted to go to six. In verse 5, he says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of the face of Jesus Christ. And notice this, um, this light really concerning the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 7 what he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And what earthen vessels is what they used to have was, um, as lamps and things were like clay pots. If you dropped them, they would break. And so this, there's an irony here that God would use these human bodies that we're in to show out his kind of life. He had never done this before. You can look back into the Old Testament, you won't find this. Where he's using people to manifest his kind of life. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so notice, he called you and I to be able to manifest this kind of glory. You and I were called for this purpose. You want to know why you're here? Here's the opportunity that while you're in this body to surrender your life to him and allow the life of your son to be seen out through you. It's really not complicated. It's not complicated at all. Notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. 
as Paul says to the Thessalonians over in Thessalonica, <clears throat> he talks about um, being thankful for them and how uh, God was using them and the purpose that he called them for. And so notice, <clears throat> again, this is just, if you want to show people what a good church looks like, don't show them First and Second Corinthians. We do learn a lot from those Corinthians because, but it's all, mostly it's negative, right? The Thessalonians, you can learn what's good. You want to see what believers actually ought to look like? Look at these believers and how they conducted themselves. Notice what he says here in verse um, 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning, or from a beginning, chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Wherefore, verse 14, he called you by our gospel to obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The opportunity for believers to be able to manifest God's life. We talk about a lot in the world. The world's evil. Many bad people in the world. But that's why you're here. To show forth God's kind of life. They won't see it otherwise. They won't see it otherwise. You and I have been chosen for this moment. It's not an accident. God looked through the corridors of time. He could have placed you at any point in time. And he chose to place you here. At this time. And so notice the, this word for glory. As you go back in the Second Corinthians 3. It says this glory is from glory into glory. Or really I said. So you're going from one glory. Into a different quality of glory. And so you see this word, uh, this ice, there's another preposition there that you use. So from, coming out of one glory, ice, going right into another kind of glory, or quality of glory. And so you see this, this intensification of glory. And how the believer has the potential, as you allow the Holy Spirit to produce it, to grow in that glory. Manifesting more and more of God's life through this human body. And so you can see that somewhat in, in what Paul says in Philippians. Not that I have already reached maturity with the result that I've arrived. But I keep pursuing after that I may apprehend all that God has apprehended me for in Christ. It never stops. And so notice you see this uh, with the way that this is used, this um, um, ice is used with doxa. It's used in several other places. Just want to show you just a couple of examples of it. It's used with glory in several other places. Notice in First um, um, Corinthians two and verse seven. Let's look at that one. Would be a good illustration to see it. First Corinthians two and verse seven. Now Paul was re- revealing to the Corinthians. Remember in Corinth they were this. This was an intellectual city. And they had all kinds of things going on in Corinth. When we were over in Europe, we tried to go to Corinth. Um, and uh, they said that it was only a canal that ex- existence right there now, right? There is no such thing as Corinth anymore. <coughs> it's, it's gone. 
and maybe that speaks for itself. <laughs> but it was an intellectual city. They had commerce, a lot of world system stuff there. And the Corinthian people are inside the church had become enamored with the wisdom of the world. And they, as a result of that, were leery about some of the things Paul was saying. And so Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 1, and he says, um, well, in the third chapter, he says, if any man considers himself to be wise in this age, let him become a fool. For the wisdom of this age is foolishness alongside of God. And then he says this in chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you with weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech, notice, was not, and my preaching was not in the enticing words of man's wisdom. In man's wisdom, the emphasis is not on what's said, it's how it's said, right? Eloquence. They really enjoyed listening to Apollos because he was from Alexander, Egypt, a very refined and educated area. But they didn't like Paul. And they were into that. To me, it doesn't matter what someone says. I don't care who says it. Is it true? Is it true? And so notice he says, my, my speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak a wisdom among them that are perfect, already though them that are maturing, yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the princes of this age that are coming to naught. But we speak, verse 7, a wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world, and I would say here, translated, because of our glory. So what is that? He goes on to tell you what that wisdom is, that there is a wisdom that God had provided that as the believer adheres to it, it allows the believer to manifest God's glory. Notice he goes on and he says in verse 9, but it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor either has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. Now, I used to think that he was talking about in the future, in the sweet by and by. Do you know he's talking about now? Well, follow what he says here from verse 9 on down. He's talking about specific things that God has given to those who are loving him. And that by the believers adhering to these things, that God can actually be glorified in the believer. Notice, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searches, notice, all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit from God. Now, we have not received, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that he, we might know what? The things that are graciously given to us from God. Did you see that? 
So there's things that God has provided for the believer in this life that causes you to be able to glorify him. And what are they? You go back at scripture, you look at what God has said about who you are, that in Christ we're counted to be righteous. In Christ we're seated at the right hand of the Father. In Christ we're part of a new creation. That as the believer understands that, your focus is not going to be on conducting your own life. You're going to rest in what God has already done. And as a result of that, the Holy Spirit can actually do his job. Do you realize how many people today are bent on trying to show God how righteous they are with what they do? They come up with these things. I remember we were in Portland. Um, what was the woman, the skater? I can't remember her name now. Tanya Harding. Tanya Harding. Yeah. Skating for Jesus. Skating for Jesus. Well, I hope she was. God knows. But do you know people come up with things that they want to show God what they want him want to do for him? God has already has good works that he wants us to do. He doesn't need your good works. He really doesn't need them. What he needs for us is to be led by the spirit. And as we see that he's already done the work and we rest in what he's already done. The Holy Spirit is sitting there waiting for you to stop. He just is waiting for you to stop so he can do his job. And what is that? Producing the life of the son in you and I. He's very capable of doing it. What's getting in the way? You and me. Religion. So many people trying to show other people how righteous they are. Well, look how righteous I am. Why, look at me. I don't do fill in the blank. And the Holy Spirit can't do his job. And so you see, there is this glory. And so you move from glory to glory. Now notice the believer's transformation is made possible by God's provision in this dispensation. And um, well, we just saw that, so we won't go back there. But it's interesting what he was doing here. The princes of this age, they didn't... Look, the, there was... And you find in that passage we just left here that the demons were behind and had an involvement in the crucifixion of Christ. And they thought that by killing Christ, they would have nullified God's program. And God says on the other side of it, you nut, that's exactly what I wanted you to do. And but by killing Christ, they actually brought about the opportunity for us to be able to bring glory to him. And you go back, and I think it's down in verse 12 where it says, or actually 7 there, or 8, if the princes of this age knew that this would have happened, that we would have the opportunity to glorify God by them killing Christ, they would have never killed him. Isn't that an amazing thing? Why? I mean, it's almost like... (laughs) You know, he's, uh, when we were younger and you, you uh, chop up a worm, you ever chopped up a worm and it just keeps moving? <laughs> it just kind of seems like it multiplies, right? And you think that, oh, it's just going to kill it. No, it doesn't. Each part just keeps moving. <laughs> and what they, they, he did in putting Christ to death, now you and I have the opportunity to be able to bring glory to him. More people than ever would have happened had they not put them to death. And it's just an amazing thing to see. 
Now notice going back into the, th- the 18th chapter of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's finish this ideal. And so he says, we all with unveiled faces are being transformed from glory to glory. And then he says this into the same image, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And this word even as by is actually a word, uh, kafir, uh, excuse me, kataper. Uh, it's an adverb, and it could be translated just as, or offers a more exacting comparison. So we're being transformed, and that word just as, it's in the same way. In the same way. It's actually how that's used. And let's just let me give you a couple of illustrations of how you see that, that used that way. Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, uh, look, at, look at 1 Thessalonians. We'll just use one illustration there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it's used there of the uh, Paul telling the Thessalonians not to walk as the Gentiles walk. Now notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, um, he gives his admonition to the Thessalonians. <clears throat> Verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And we talked about fornication, and fornication is actually, it's all kinds of sexual sins. You, you, you realize a lot of these people, these uh, alphabet people today, what they're trying to do is nullify what God has said, that all of these things they're doing, it would be inclusive on the fornication. That's a fact. And so what they want to try to say is that, that no, that's not true. Well, you can say it all you want to, you can't nullify the truth by saying it. You see. Now, notice he says, uh, verse four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence. Already, this word lust for, of concupiscence is actually the way that he translates that uh, in that in that uh, verse four, not in lust from passions. Uh, it's actually how you could translate that. And so uh, the idea of, so you have a, and this is why I say again, a lot of the things that are happening in the world with human behavior, it's just, a, it's spiritual. It's in nature. You know what it does? It has passions, or it has lust, and it has passions. So let's just say that you are engaging in something that is from the fallen nature, and you have this craving, the more you give into that craving, it becomes harder for you to say no to it. And now you begin to suffer not to do it. And that's what's called a passion. A passion is a suffering. You have done something from the sin nature so much, it hurts you not to do it. Well, I think that's what they call addictions today. That's all an addiction is. I would just like to use the scriptural use of it. It's a passion. And it can be overcome. And so, notice what he says. Not in passions that comes from lust. How? Just as the Gentiles. In the same way that the Gentiles. So he says, all of these unsaved people, you know what's ordering their life? They have engaged in lust they have utilized those lusts for so long they become passions and it hurts them 
not to do it. They suffer not to do it. He says, not as the Gentiles, just as the Gentiles. And the so he says, don't do just as the Gentiles do. Where they allow their minds to go that way. You see. And so this word just as is you look at that there is a, a point for point. That you're doing something in the same way that something else is done. And that's what he's talking about here. So if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And you see that word again. He says um, concerning the believer being transformed. It says we are changed from glory to glory. And it's translated here even as, or really just as, and I would say from the Spirit of the Lord. And so this, who's doing this transformation? The Holy Spirit. And it translates here, Spirit from the Lord, and we, you can see in several places that the Spirit from the Lord is used um, in which the Holy Spirit is actually called the Spirit from the Lord. Notice in Acts 5.9, you see it used that way. And so notice um, Peter is asking um, Sapphira why her and her husband Ananias tempted the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, and Peter answered and told her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which are buried, uh, thy husband, are at the door, and they shall carry thee out. Well... The Spirit from the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is the one producing the life. And he's doing it from one quality of glory to another. I wish I could um, actually get a monitor of where I'm at on the scale. I wish God could kind of give you a little, you know, indication of where you are. Kevin, you're right here right now. You haven't moved very much. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do much in your life. <laughs> but he didn't do that. Probably a good thing, right? But do you know there is the propensity, and we're going to find out at the Bema Seat Judgment, how much headway we made. Did I glorify God? Did I allow the Holy Spirit to use me while I was in this body to allow the life of the Son to be seen out? How much of it was me and how much of it was the Holy Spirit? How much? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now he's not talking about the great white throne judgment. Everybody that appears before the great white throne judgment are going one direction, and that's hell or Gehenna. This judgment seat is for the believers. And our, our, our works are going to be judged, not us, our works are going to be judged. He says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ in order to discern the things done in the body, whether they were good. And that word good is agathos, the Holy Spirit produced them, or whether they were evil, lacking in character. And man, I understand that we're living this life and you don't you think, okay, how much of this is me? Am I being led by the Spirit? 
Did I go and do this? Did the Holy Spirit lead me to do this? Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to actually control my life? To produce God's life in me? Am I still fighting? Am I trying to do it myself? God wants to allow the Spirit to work in me. And as he works in me, he can produce the life of the Son. And people will see less of me and more of the Son. And that's S-O-N, not (laughs) S-U-N. More of the Son. And we'll see it going forward. We're going to look at illustrations in Scripture where you can see that was the case with believers in the early church. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we, as we're living in this body, that we have that opportunity to be able to bring glory to you by allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work through us. And we're so thankful for that potential. It is an enormous opportunity that we have. We don't always have a full appreciation for it. But we're thankful that as we, you allow us to see the appreciation for it, that we can allow the Holy Spirit to do, to do the work. And he can do a wonderful job in producing your son, the life of your son, through this fragile tent that we're in. And we're thankful for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen.